Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ala amma ba'd Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah So today inshallah ta'ala we're continuing uh, after just the introduction of last week Today we're going to get into the surah itself Allah ta'ala tells us ba'da a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim A'abasa wa tawalla A'abasa wa tawalla means he frowned and he turned away so abasa, coming from abasa, ya'bisu, absan or ubusan, which means to frown. But it's also a very mild version of frowning, like just a small little bulge at the front of your forehead, nothing else apparent on the face uh, nor in the voice, no harshness being indicated, which is different than kalaha, which is to scowl with one's teeth grinding, or let's say, which is mentioned in the Qur'an, or basara, which is to scowl uh, so much so that your face becomes ugly, like it's just a really ugly look, it occurs twice in the Qur'an, or tabassala, which means to scowl in such a way that it's not found in the Qur'an, but also in a harsh way. So this, we're not talking about any of that, we're talking about the, the most mild version of a frown, tawalla, and to physically turn away. Now the fact of the matter is that Allah Ta'ala uses the third person. If Allah Ta'ala said, abasta wa tawallayta, which means what? You frowned and you turned away. Then it would have been much more of a harsher rebuke. However, Allah Ta'ala is using the third person indicates what? What is this indicating? Uh, that this is not the usual behavior for the Prophet and therefore not to be attributed to him directly in a very harsh and stern manner. Rather, and what's even more interesting is that Allah Ta'ala is teaching the Prophet to avoid harshness with his Sahaba, with this particular Sahabi, anhu. So it's fitting that Allah Ta'ala is not speaking to him in a harsh tone. You would think that that would, that would contradict the message, right? Don't be so harsh in a really harsh way. You can see that Allah Ta'ala is using the third person indirect, so it's a much softer method. And also notice that Abasa and Watawalla address the face and the body respectively. Abasa is what's happening in the face and Tawalla is what's happening in the body. There's no criticism about the words of the Prophet So in that there's a very heavy lesson that we need to learn. Da'wah isn't just about what you say. Body language, uh, uh, body language awareness is absolutely crucial. So this, do you guys get the point here? That it's not just about, oh, well, I didn't say anything wrong. I'm not analyzing what you said. I'm analyzing just a slight facial movement and a slight body movement and that is part of da'wah as well. That's what you need to be careful about with regards to presenting the message of Islam. So the believer is at a very high level of uh, awareness when he's giving da'wah and this is what you want to train at. And so you have to ask yourself the question, if we shouldn't even frown towards a blind person who can't see it, I mean that's the, that's the extent that, of which the Prophet is being held to the highest of standards, then subhanAllah how much more so for someone who can see us directly, someone who's looking right at us when we are harsh with them, when we say mean words, when we frown towards them, etc. Now another thing that is a very common mistake that unfortunately many people make is what? That they say to themselves in terms of da'wah, like they can give da'wah but they, they, you know, they refrain. Why? Because they say this person has been Muslim for a long time, therefore they don't need immediate motivation. They'll, they, uh, they'll be motivated uh, you know, later on, no problem, I'll, we'll figure that out later. However, life is a series of windows of opportunity. Even a practicing Muslim may be interested in learning one day and then neglecting that crucial motivation may cause that person to be lost forever. So the point that I'm getting at is that the Prophet is being reminded that just because Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum has been with you for a long time and he's been a believer for many years and so it could be the case that you get the impression that look, I need to focus on the new people because the old people, they're, they're you know, it's, it's, it's done. It's, it's okay, I can just, you know, they're, they're, you know, set in stone or, you know, not, nothing to worry about. And especially somebody in my position or anybody who is involved in any sort of level of da'wah, you can get to that point where you think, oh, there are certain regulars that they're, they're never going to have a problem and it's always going to be easy with them and they're always going to be just fine. And, and Allah Ta'ala is reminding us that, look, these people have, mo you know, ups and downs too. And when they have that strong moment of motivation where they want to learn, you better take advantage of it. You better make sure that you capture that motivation and teach them as best you can, inshallah ta'ala. 
And of course, I've already mentioned it, but just to clarify, when Abbasat wa tawalla, tawalla, Allah says that he turned, turned from who? It's not mentioned, but we know based on the uh, 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 context here, it's Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, anhu, who was the cousin of Khadija, uh, his mother, was Umm Maktoum, Ibn Umm Maktoum, hence, hence what his name, his mother was Umm Maktoum, and uh, Khadija's father uh, is Khuwaylid, hence her name being Khadija bint Khuwaylid, and those two were siblings, Umm Maktoum and Khuwaylid were siblings. So that's why she was the cousin of the Prophet so he embraced Islam early on, and you could imagine that the Prophet feels like, this guy's been Muslim for a long time, he can wait, but Allah Ta'ala is showing what? That hey, he's very sincere, so you need to give him his, and we'll, we'll see why in, 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 more, in more detail, inshallah, we'll get into it more. Now this is a very important point, why? The fact that this is, an, uh, you could say, you know, Dala'ilun Nubuwa, that these, these are evidences of prophethood, why? Because if these were the words of the Prophet why would he re reprimand himself? And now, uh, let's take it a step further. Because you might say, well, maybe there's a strategy of you know, reprimanding yourself, so I look like I'm humble, this and that, this and that. Okay, fine. Let's say you want to go that far, like this, like, oh, they call it, like 3D chess or whatever, right? Like he's, he's planning way ahead. Okay, fine, let's say that's the case. Why would you reprimand yourself at a time when all of Mecca is attacking you? Remember, I mentioned this last week, this is early Mecca. This is early Mecca surah. I mean, not, not, not right at the beginning, but like relatively early Mecca surah. So my point is to say that this is still at a time where the believers are being significantly persecuted. Do you really think that the Prophet would make uh, up this surah, then recite it publicly for everybody to evaluate and contemplate his mistake? Because you, you know that the, 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 the Quran of Mecca was being d disseminated to everybody. everybody. It was the talk of the town. So people, those, some people loved it, some people hated it, some people loved it secretly, some people were listening, you know. But the point is that everybody was talking about Qur'an. This was the big phenomenon at the time. And so you could have to imagine, you're going to claim that the Prophet ﷺ was faking it, so he wanted to highlight and talk about his mistake at a time where everybody was trying to find any mistake, and now you're going to highlight something like this. Clearly this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, number one. And number two, the Prophet had no room for hiding anything. And this is exactly why, this is surah 80, the very next surah is surah uh, 81, in which Allah ta'ala mentions in, uh, in ayah number 24, He is in no way somebody who conceals from the ghayb. He doesn't conceal anything. Whatever is revealed to him, he has to expose. So there's no opportunity or there's no room for saying, let me hold off on this one. Maybe I'll you know, save it, that for later. No. You have to say it exactly as it is. Yes, a very, very important point. Actually, one of our brothers mentioned it last week, mashallah, tabarakallah. And it's a very good point, is what? That politicians won't save you. <laughs> Subhanallah. This, is, this surah, one of the, one of the main uh, uh, themes here, this doesn't mean, I'm not like anti-getting involved in politics. I'm not saying it's like the end of the world or something like that. I know some people, uh, there's, there's two extremes, I, I think, on the matter. But I do very much believe that. This surah is teaching us what? Despite being persecuted in Mecca, the emphasis shouldn't be on acquiring political power by any means necessary. Rather, Muslims must maintain their dignity and make teaching sincere believers a top priority, even if they offer zero political advancement. That is a tough pill to swallow. Abdullah ibn Maktoum could not be a warrior, could not be a fighter. He's blind, he can't, right? So he's not offering any political strategy or, or strength. And yet, the Prophet is speaking to the you know, Zu'ama or Urzama or whatever term, different ahadith mention that they're the leaders of, of, uh, of Mecca. And yet Allah Ta'ala is saying what? You shouldn't be, you have to turn back to him and face him and give him his attention. You think now? Now's the time I need political alliance. Don't compromise your principles. Don't compromise the weakest amongst you. Don't neglect them. What a scary and heavy lesson to learn as a minority. Alhamdulillah, we're not going any, through any persecution. Alhamdulillah, but still, uh, uh, what does that teach us? That 
we should not be just thinking about, oh, how can this politician help me, this and that. No, we need to be thinking about the weakest amongst us, not only those who are above, especially sometimes you find people will compromise their, their morals just to impress politicians. A'udhu Billah, may Allah protect us. Now, this sort of brings up a very big question, which is what? The mistakes of the Prophet We know that there are a number of uh, threats and critiques that are mentioned in the Qur'an. And there's actually eight of them that I'm aware of. Perhaps there are more, but I'm aware of eight. We know that when the Prophet took prisoners at Badr, Allah Ta'ala, uh, reprimanded that, or you could say criticized that in Surah Al-Anfal. Uh, uh, when uh, he gave permission for certain people to remain behind in Surah Tawbah, this is criticized. In Surah 17, which is Surah Isra, there's the threat for inclining towards the disbelievers. Not saying that he did necessarily, but there's the threat that, hey, do not incline towards the disbelievers. In Surah 18, which is Surah Kahf, Allah Ta'ala uh, uh, reprimands him for, getting, uh, for forgetting to say, Insha'Allah, which is mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf. In Surah 33, Surah Ahzab, Allah Ta'ala reprimands him for having fear about the judgment of uh, marrying Zainab because people thought that was very odd. You know, you're, this is your, this is um, uh, what's name, uh, Zayd ibn Muhammad. No, Zayd ibn Haritha. It wasn't ibn Muhammad, but they had this feeling that he was like his son, and therefore marrying his ex-wife seemed wrong. Nowadays, we don't even think that's a big deal, but back then, that was a really big thing. Uh, uh, and so, Subhanallah, uh, this was considered something big. And Allah Taala reprimanded him, said, "Hey, you have to make this clear. There's a very important hukum that this is not your child, and the, the Arabs need to get this in their minds that this idea that you become somebody's son, there's no such thing as that. Your, your children are only based on your blood. You can't make, mix up bloodlines and." by saying Ibn so-and-so, that's not real. So this was a very, very important point. Allah Ta'ala uh, reprimands the Prophet for forbidding uh, halal, what, uh, forbidding halal, what, uh, making haram what Allah made, made halal. In other words, in Surah Tahrim, ayah number one, well, this is a long story, we'll get into another day, inshallah. Uh, we know that Allah Ta'ala threatens and says, if ever you speak falsely or say something incorrect about Allah Ta'ala, I will cut your jugular. This is mentioned in Surah 69, Surah Haqqa, and then finally this one. So that's eight, uh, Surah Abbas here. That's eight different times of either threats or uh, a mistake that was called out, which brings up this very controversial question. Did the Prophet make mistakes? Did he sin? And if he did, how can you say that he has to, you have to follow his sunnah? Because there are mistakes in that sunnah. I mentioned this before when we talked about what Surah Ida Jah Nasrullah wa Fatih, because the same issue was brought up because Allah says, Fastaghfiruhu, right? Ask for his forgiveness. So the question is, forgiveness? Did you make mistakes? So, anybody want to try? Who wants to throw out a, who wants to venture a guess? How, if, okay, let's say there's a, uh, mashallah, maybe you, you've dealt with this in the, in the da'wah booths. I've, I've dealt with Christians that say this. You know, they say, you say you're supposed to follow the tradition of your prophet, he's supposed to be perfect, but then the Quran says that he made certain mistakes, so how can you follow his? Example, if his example has mistakes, how would you say, how would you respond? Okay, close, okay. But mm, the thing is, you can't really go with Nasikh al here because you can't say that, oh, at one point it was a good idea to frown and turn away and then that was Mansukh. It's a little bit of a stretch of an argument. So I wouldn't go necessarily down the direction of Nasikh al So I'll mention a different uh, possible uh, answer. Number one, first, uh, when it comes to the mistakes of the Prophet these are minor, minor infractions. They cannot be put on the same scale as our mistakes. Literally frowning, frowning and turning your direction from a blind man, he's blind, he doesn't even see it. So no, no offense was given, and yet Allah Ta'ala is calling you out. You get the point? So really you could say there really isn't an infraction. There isn't a sin that was really committed in the sense that, but because you were held to the highest and highest of standards, I'm still going to call it out, subhanAllah. That's number one. Uh, number two is what? 
when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clarifies a mistake, nobody can claim that they were following the sunnah of that mistake because it's been clarified, right? If the Prophet ﷺ said, you know what, I'm not going to have a certain type of honey because, you know, for, for some reason, then Allah says, no, don't make haram upon yourself what Allah made halal. You can't say, oh, it's the sunnah to not eat honey. Clearly, that was, that was clarified, so you can no longer go in that direction. Same thing with Abbas wa Tawalla. However, we should also remember that there are different types of asking Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness. We know that the Prophet ﷺ asked Allah for forgiveness. He made istighfar. He would say that I would ask Allah for forgiveness, and there's different ayat that mention this. There's different types. There's asking Allah to forgive you because of a sin that earned Allah's anger. And we would say, no, the Prophet doesn't fall into this category. We do. We make sins that, that can uh, uh, you know, cause Allah's anger upon us, so we have to ask Allah's forgiveness. But we don't say the Prophet falls into that category. Category number two is what? Asking Allah to forgive you for doing deeds, for doing good deeds that were not as good as what you could have done. A person comes up and says, can you spare me some money? You give him $10, you walk away, then you get into your car, you're driving away, you're thinking, I really could have given him 100. Why am I so cheap? I only give the guy 10. Now, technically, you could have given, given him zero, right? It's not an obligation for you, right? But you're thinking to yourself, astaghfirullah, ya Allah, astaghfirullah, I only gave him $10. I could have given him 100 easily, no problem. I'm doing much well, better for myself. I could have, you know, I got a raise recently, whatever the case is. I could have given, I didn't. So that's point number two. So the Prophet is making astighfar, not because he's making mistakes that are angering Allah Ta'ala, but you make astighfar, why? I could have done better, even though what I was doing was already good. Clearly, like I said, crowning and turning to somebody who didn't see it is not an offense. So really the infraction wasn't done, but you could have done even better, even though he didn't even know, subhanAllah. Point number three is what? Asking Allah Ta'ala to forgive you for not praising him as he deserves to be praised. It could be that you've maxed out. You're not thinking to yourself, oh, I gave 10, I could have given 100. No, no, let's say in everything you do, you do 100%. And yet you say, ya Allah, my 100% is nothing compared to what you deserve. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. So when we see that the Prophet made istighfar, we don't say it's with the first, first category where he did something that, what, was so egregious and ugly and sinful that he was, no, we don't believe that. We believe that the Prophet is a, a great, uh, the best of, the best of examples. Assalamu alaikum, sorry, if we can make sure the sisters keep anybody from touching the, the railing so that nobody, just in case, jazakallah khair, shukran. So yes, um, now, in terms of what this, uh, these ayat imply, one of the implications here is what Islam empowers the followers. This verse is empowerment to the followers, recognizing how important it is that leaders serve them as opposed to the leadership that oppresses people and abuses their followers and all the followers are looking towards them. SubhanAllah, we know that there is a hadith, it's a weak hadith, but still, uh, Wallahu ta'ala a'lam, perhaps there's, I mean, definitely in meaning it is correct, which is what? Sayyidul Qawmi Khadimuhum. Sayyidul Qawmi Khadimuhum. The leader of people are their servant. That's what leadership is. It's to serve the community. It's not to be like, I'm a king on a throne and I just want praise and money and whatever, whatever. It's rather, I'm in a position of responsibility to lead these people in the best direction. The most pressure is on me because I have to serve all these people. That's what it means to lead. And so subhanAllah, this surah is a perfect example of the Prophet ﷺ being at the service of the ummah, subhanAllah. And we should always remember never to overlook potential. So maybe we don't have people that are uh, visually impaired coming up to us and asking us questions so we can't relate. So let me offer a different example. I'm sure there are several Muslims who will say that they will have lengthy and healthy conversations with their coworkers about religion. And unfortunately, they don't accept, uh, 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 you know, they, they don't accept because, you know, they treat it like it's some sort of an intellectual debate, not as a means of seeking truth, unfortunately. I'm sure we've all experienced these type of scenarios. Meanwhile, those same Muslims could attend a youth event and be a mentor to some impressionable youth, but they refuse to because it's beneath them, quote-unquote, despite the fact that they'll admit uh, that when they were confused teenagers, it was the guidance of a concerned mentor, mentor that 
irrevocably transformed them. And I definitely think that this is true. I can say of myself and I can say of many people that I grew up with that many of us would say when we were young, when we were going to these youth halaqas, there was somebody who was older, who sat with us, saw potential, said the right words, said something positive, motivating, and it pushed us in the right direction. And then I personally have spoken to very close friends of mine and said, guys, remember when we were that age and we had this guy and this guy and this guy as mentors and they would push us and they would encourage us and they made us better people, right? They're like, yeah, absolutely. Shouldn't we do that for the next generation? Shouldn't we go to this youth halaqa? They're like, oh, man, that's a waste of my time. I don't want to deal with these youth. They didn't have that attitude. They came to us, but we won't go to them. You guys see the difference? So subhanAllah, you have to pass on that blessing, inshallah ta'ala. Now, in defense of the Prophet the Prophet had a number of reasons for turning away. Let's, let's, let's go through them to defend our Prophet <laughs> to see to see, to understand the scenario. But of course, obviously, Allah Ta'ala said what he said, and so we have to accept, and I'll, I'll give the responses, inshallah Ta'ala. But I still, I still think it's nice to try to imagine yourself in that scene. Number one, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was blind but not deaf. What does that mean? He could have heard that the Prophet was engaged in a conversation. You're blind, but you're not deaf. You heard that I'm talking. So number one, kind of in the wrong there. Okay, number two, he's already Muslim. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum is already a Muslim. So da'wah to non-Muslims does take precedence, right? Number three, they're leaders. So their Islam results in the Islam of many other people, right? If these guys convert, then a lot of other people can convert. The whole tribe may convert. That's kind of a priority. Seems pretty reasonable, right? Point number four, frowning and turning from someone who is blind isn't a sin because they can't see it or get offended. Okay, that's pretty obvious. And number five is what? Oh, actually, I got more. Five is what? Allah Ta'ala commanded the, the Sahaba to not speak over the Prophet Allah Ta'ala says what? Ya amanu, la aswatakum nabi. Oh, you have believed, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet. Don't do that. No, 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 I, but, but I, oh, hey, hey, hey. If the Prophet has something to say, you're not going to get your voice. I just want to squeeze one word in, talk a little faster, a little louder. You don't do that. And how does that apply to us? That applies with a hadith. When it comes to the hadith of the Prophet, we should be calm, quiet, listen, respectful. Number six, the Prophet sometimes gave extra attention to the weaker people. This is something that's actually perfectly acceptable. We know that one time, the Messenger was distributing some shares of the uh, war booty. This is later on, obviously. This is much later on when they were going to war, getting a hanima, so forth. And then somebody said, Ya Rasulullah, A'ati fulan, give so-and-so, fa'innahu mu'min. Give so-and-so such a person because he's a believer. Then the Prophet says, the Prophet sent a response, oh, Muslim. <laughs> SubhanAllah. I don't know which person this was, but that's kind of a little bit of a demotion there. He said, give to this person. He's a believer. Um, he's a Muslim. <laughs> anyway, so they had this little back and forth. And then, SubhanAllah, the hadith goes on. And then, then the Prophet says what? Inni la u'ati ar-rajul wa ghayruhu ahabbu ilayya minhu ma khafata an yakubahu allahu finnar. That the Prophet says, I may give to a man while another man is dearer to me than him out of fear that Allah may throw him face long into the fire. What does this mean? So the Prophet was distributing the war booty and somebody was saying, hey, give to this guy because he's a better, he's, he's a more righteous person. And then the Prophet said, like, I get it. He is a Muslim, he's a stronger Muslim, etc. But sometimes I'll give to the one that I favor less. Why? Because that person's weak and they need to be propped up. They need a little bit of financial incentive and take care of them and see that, wow, Islam is strong and Islam is, you know, the Muslims take care of me and so on and so forth. So this is something that, you know, get any of these um, uh, hesitations. Like if I join the Muslims, maybe I'm gonna be broke. If I join the Muslims, then maybe these guys, these guys have no opportunities for me and maybe they're gonna be losing. You have to quell those mawani, uh, 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 these preventers, uh, that uh, you have to get them out of the way so that the person can evaluate the message for what it is. So then the question is, so then why was he reprimanded? Well, number one. Although fixing the shirk of the polytheist is more of a priority than the tezkiyah or the purification of the believer, the fact is the sincere student is a priority over the insincere audience. 
So it wasn't about just believer versus disbeliever. It was about sincere versus insincere. That's a really heavy point. SubhanAllah, I find that really powerful. Number two is what? Because it looks like preference is being given to the rich over the poor. It's not just what it is, it's what it looks like. That's a very important point as well. And this is such a problem all around the world that it must be addressed in the strongest terms. So even though, even though the Prophet is thinking what? You guys are leaders and I'm thinking about how you can have a residual influence on so many people. It may look like, oh, you're just, you're just flattering them because they're rich. And you're just, you know, I don't know, you shudder in their presence, you know? And that looks bad. And so it, that could be a factor. And also because the disbelievers weren't uh, taking the Prophet seriously, so his enthusiasm makes Islam look cheap. That's a very, very important point. I personally have gotten into some trouble. <laughs> this was a long time ago. But one time I gave a khutbah and they said, oh, they have some guests coming and you have to, you know, mention them and talk about them and sort of flatter them. And I was just like, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> and so I just kind of gave a talk about how Islam is the strongest religion and, you know, <laughs> it's the best and, and you, you know, everybody has to embrace it because if you don't, then subhanAllah, you may end up in the fire. And so anyway, I, I wanted to kind of, it was a bit, it was, anyway, <laughs> I wanted to establish, look, we don't, we can, oh, we're so glad that you finally, you know, gave us poor peasants you know, your audience, and you came and visited us because we're so, like, I, I really don't like this at all. It really makes me feel sick to my stomach. No, this Islam is the best, and you're lucky if you have it. If you don't have it, you better check yourself. That was the right message to give, in my opinion, and Allah knows best, maybe. Uh, anyway, Allah knows best. Next. Uh, uh, because, also, these leaders didn't want to be associated with the poor. This is a very, very important point. These disbelievers didn't want to be associated with the poor, so they couldn't be allowed to get what they wanted, to confirm in their minds, confirming in their minds that they really are superior. Imagine these disbelievers thinking, oh, this riffraff doesn't belong around us. And then the Prophet turns away, turns away from this individual. And they're thinking, exactly. You know, if I, you know, we don't, we, you know, at least I'm glad he recognizes that we are the higher audience. A'udhu Billah. Now that's clearly not what the Prophet intended, but it could come off that way. And then finally, because the Prophet is held to the highest, highest of standards. So yeah, there are many ayats that talk about this. That Allah Ta'ala mentions what? Keep yourself patient with those who call upon their Lord in the morning and the evening, seeking the face of Allah Ta'ala. So this is a very important ayah. And furthermore, we know that the Prophet was very soft and very sweet with the Sahaba. That is by the mercy of Allah that you are lenient with them. And Allah Ta'ala has many ayat that talk about how the Prophet is Uswatun Hassan, the best of examples how the Prophet was the most sweet, how we know that the ha habit of the Prophet Jarir, he says what? Ma hajabani Rasulullah Since I embraced Islam, uh, Allah's Messenger never refused to see me and he did not see me but with a smile on his face. Imagine, this was the, this was the description that the Sahaba had. Every time I was around the Prophet he was always smiling, always positive, always loving and so on and so forth. So inshallah ta'ala, I don't want to go on too long. I know I just covered this first ayah but it's a big heavy ayah. Uh, uh, and so, uh, inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue next week. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who always show respect and give us the strength to be patient with those who, even if sometimes we're feeling uh, frustrated or annoyed, we should be patient with people and show them the best character, always show them positivity, always be welcoming. Ameen, ya rabbal alameen. Wa jazam dara khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.